<laughs> this is awesome. Um, just starting the year, align, realigning our passions for Christ. Um, but quickly, we can lose that, right? I mean, it is amazing how fast our red-hot excitement and passion can become kind of, you know, dampened and almost dim. Um, and so that's why we're talking about hungering and thirsting for the Lord. And we need this. Something crazy happened this morning. Now, I don't know if this ever happens to you guys. I woke up this morning. I went in my kitchen. I got a cup of coffee. Okay? All of a sudden, yes, amen. Thank you. Hand raising. Um, all of a sudden, I'm drinking my cup of coffee, and what happened? My stomach began to growl. Okay? Now, I know, you guys are, you're, you're shocked. You're like, what? You're like, well, how did that happen? All of a sudden, I was hungry. I wanted food. You know, so what did I do? <laughs> I fed that hunger. And all of a sudden, that hunger wasn't there as much. I mean, it was crazy. And, and I'm going to let, let you in a little secret. This happens to me every day. I don't know if you're, you're aware, but every day I wake up, my coffee's ready, I drink a cup of coffee, and all of a sudden, I am hungry. It's like, what is going on here? But this pain, again, is happening in my stomach. And I, I do this thing where I get food, I, I eat it, and all of a sudden, it kind of goes down a little bit. Um, but by lunchtime, it's hurting again. I mean, what is this curse, right? Jeez. Now, yes, that's, you know, a little dramatic and, and whatever, but the thing is, is naturally our bodies hunger and thirst for food and water. But unfortunately, we have to train our spirits to hunger and thirst for the things of God. You don't just wake up, at least some of you are more spiritual than me, for sure, but I don't just wake up. And my first thing is, I have got to get in the Word of God. I have got to, to pray for the next 30 minutes. I have to train myself and force myself almost to get in that place where I get filled. And I feel the Spirit of God, and I'm, I'm you know, set for what God has for me. So it doesn't come naturally. But today we're talking about three signs. Now this, you're like, this is going to be you know, almost complete opposite of what I just said. We're going to talk about three signs that you're starving, but you don't know it. Okay, three signs you're starving and you don't, don't know it. Like I said, that's not a natural phenomenon. If I go too long without food, I get a little hangry, right? And Amy said I could tell, tell on her for this, but she is known in the family of needing to, to have regular meals. I mean... Or, or, you know, there's, there's a disruption in the peace, you know, in the spirit of God over the house. It gets disrupted. Amy's my wife. Yeah. Um, so we're talking about three things today. And that, that cause us or lead to apathy in our life. That cause us to, to not recognize that we are desperately hungry for the things of God. 
we have no idea. There's no hunger pains. There's nothing that's, that's reminding us that we need this. Um, back in Dallas, in my college days, we were part of a church that didn't just do a five-day fast, but we would, do, we would regularly do a 10-day fast, right? It was a little wild, a little fanatic, I, you know. Um, I'm just kidding. 10-day fasts are good. But I remember we, we, would, we would go full on as a college student into these. I mean, you're, you have a little flexible schedule. You know, you're not, you're not working hard or lifting things. Um, and we would go, like, liquid only for, for, like, five, sometimes ten days. And you, you're hungry for the, and, and you're in pain for a couple days, and then it begins to subside. And then you're not hungry anymore, and by the time you get to that fifth, sixth, seventh day, you almost forget that you need food. Like, yeah, it hurts every once in a while, or, you know, you see, you know, a juicy hamburger, and you think, I've got to have me some of that. But it's not like, it's not, you don't almost feel the need for it. And when you think about this spiritually, this doesn't happen in five days. This doesn't happen in seven days, but it happens over time. It could be a week, could be weeks, could be months, could be over years that all of a sudden we've drifted. Our, our hearts have, have changed a little bit. Our desires have, have morphed a little bit. And yeah, we might see, we might experience church or we might see our scripture there or we might, you know, throw up a prayer to God, but we've, we, we've lost that appetite for the things of God. We've lost that desire and passion for, for our Lord and for our relationship with Jesus. Now, today we're going to talk about some, a few hard things, difficult things sometimes to, to hear, but I want you to hear this with grace, that, that this is something we all deal with. There is nobody exempt from, from what we're going to talk about today. This is, this is part of my life, and this is part of your life, and we all have to deal with this, these tendencies, these propensities that we have to, to you know, distance ourselves from a holy God, to, to, to sometimes hide, to sometimes, you know, not pursue what is right. So three things that cause us or lead to a lack of spiritual hunger. I'm going to just say them real quick. Apathy. Deception. There are more than this, but deception and habitual sin. So apathy. We become apathetic to the things of God. All of these lead to that. That is the end of all of this. Deception, that we're deceived. And habitual sin. These will all cause us to distance ourselves from God, and have a lack of spiritual hunger, passion. How many of you know that a relationship with God isn't supposed to be, you know, just, just a kind of pal type thing, like, hey, when, when I need you, I'll, well, I'll call you, or it's supposed to be intimate. It's supposed to be passionate. When we pursue God, we, it, the scripture says it's with our whole heart, right? It's not something we do on the side. It's not something we do occasionally. So this, the overarching text for this series 
that will, will kind of weave through everything we're talking about is Matthew 5, 6. It says, blessed, this is part of the Beatitudes where God pronounces blessings on, on, on people. He says, blessed, favored are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What an incredible promise. Thank you, Jesus, that if, if I will train myself to hunger and thirst for righteousness, the scripture says that I will be filled. That's good news, isn't it? That's good news. Say with me on three. Say, that's good news. One, two, three. That's good news. I, I know, it's a little cheesy, but I just want you all engaged. This is good news. That if we will dedicate ourselves to the pursuit of a relationship with Christ, who has already pursued us, who loves us more than we could ever respond, who pursues us on a regular basis, who desires to be intimate with us, to, to direct us, to guide us, to, to know us and to be known by us. If we will pursue this, the scripture says we will be filled by that. We will be filled by a loving and good God. Amen. What are you feeding your spirits? Just let that sit in your mind as we go through, as we talk. What are we feeding our spirits? What is it that's filling you up, that's causing you to have passion or desire something? What are those things? What are you feeding your spirit? What, what are you putting in? There's a, you said, you've heard this many times, if you put crap in, you get crap out. Right, exactly, right? If you, if you put junk in, junk comes out, okay? It's just the truth. The opposite is true, too. Look at Philippians 4.8. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is, think upon these things, basically. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. That's what the scripture tells us to put in. Put in, think about, meditate upon, like the, the, the meditation, the the, the cow chewing its cud, you know, regurgitating and thinking about it a little more, regurgitating and thinking about it a little more. That's, the, the, that's what meditation or, or, you know, we're supposed to think about, is that we're supposed to take the scriptures and think about the things that are good, that are pleasing, that are honorable, and allow them to, to ruminate inside of us and change who we are. The scripture says that, that the word of God will change the way we think. And will cause us to then feel differently and act differently. 1 John 2.16 says this. For all that is in the world, the lust of flesh, the lust of lies, the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. In that scripture, it kind of sums up all the things we deal with. Lust of the flesh. Our, our fleshly desires, the things that we want, our eyes, what we see, what we envy, you know, pride, those types of things, and the boastful pride of life. It says these are not of God. Don't, don't, you know, 
don't allow yourself to lean into those things. Lean into the other scripture. Lean into Philippians 4.8. Lean into what is noble, what is right, what is honorable, what is pure, what is lovely. Lean into those things more often than you find yourself tilting over here. Have you ever felt bad about something and you didn't know it for a while and then you look back and you, and you thought, man, that was, that was terrible. You, felt, you've, you've, you really felt down and, you're, and then, you know, you look back and you thought, man, I was really down and I didn't even know it. I've, I've been there several times. I've been in, in places where I didn't realize I was really, really struggling that I was really having a tough time until after I was through that tough time. And I look back and I talk to my wife and she'll be like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely we're, we're having a tough time. Definitely we're struggling. Sometimes we can deceive ourselves. We can just not understand what is actually going on. Um, and we need other people around us to help us recognize the season we're in. We have to learn how to put things in place to recognize when our passion for Christ is dimming. You know, what, what are those red flags? What are the signs that for you in your life that you would say, yeah, my passion for Christ, my hunger for the things of God, it's waning, it's dimming, it's not there. And those types of things, if we catch them early enough, can save us a lot of grief, you know, can help us in this journey of pursuing Christ. Obviously, we need one another. We need people to call us out on our, as I said earlier, crap. I won't, I won't say that any more times, Amy. <laughs> it's making you uncomfortable in the front row. I can see it. Um, but we need people to do that. We also need to put things in our life that help us, us recognize, hey, this is, this is not right. This is, I shouldn't be... I shouldn't be doing these things. I shouldn't be thinking about these things. I shouldn't be feeling this way. And those flags go off, and we can recognize. I'm going to tell you, we're going to talk about three different types, kind of images or archetypes, if you will, uh, of so bigger, bigger pictures of people who end up malnourished, empty, starving, needing to be filled by God, but don't recognize it. This first one is the one I struggle with most. I want you to think, we, I think all of us can identify with all of them. We're going to go through three. But this first one is the one I fall into more than the others. And I find if I will put things in place you know, to recognize, okay, Jason, red flag, this is not going well for you. The first one for me is the image of the starving baker. Okay, you might, have, you might have read Habitudes before by Tim Elmore. He, he, he has this image of the starving baker and talks about how there's this baker who every morning wakes up really, really early and bakes a lot of, a lot of food. And people come into his shop and he constantly is, is feeding the whole town. He's feeding the whole town with his incredible baked goods. Anybody hungry? Huh? It's natural to get hungry when you talk about food. You know what? It's also natural to get hungry when you talk about spiritual things with other people. Small groups? Anybody? Anybody? Small groups? Okay. All right, just a little plug. Um, 
So he's, he's handing out this food, right? He's handing out food, handing out food, feeding everybody around him, but he's withering away and malnourished, okay? So he's this baker. He has access to as much food as he needs, but he's so busy feeding the town that he never feeds himself enough to gain the nourishment he needs to be healthy. This is where I can often find myself because I'm a doer, and I will, I will, you know, just keep running and running and running and running and find myself malnourished. Find myself, like, I will, and I hate to admit this, and you guys might not want me back up on the stage after this, but I will go sometimes a week or more not having sat down and really read my Bible. It's true. And there might be a few of you out there that, that that's true for you too. I will find that I have done a lot of spiritual activity. I have ministered to people. I've called, my job is, is to send missionaries. I've called missionaries around the world and encouraged them in their, in their faith and walk in Christ. But I have been neglecting my own spiritual life. I am not good with spiritual practices. When I read Richard, Richard Foster's, you know, spiritual disciplines, book on spiritual disciplines, I fall apart because it's just like impossible. How do, how do people live like this? How can you do that? But I, re, I, I recognize for, for myself that this is where I need to put in some effort. And I recognize that if, if it's been a few days that I need to kind of slap myself in the face and say, Jason, this is not healthy. This is not good. If you keep going this way, you will, that, that hunger will begin to die. Your heart will begin to dim. Things won't go well. Stop. Take a minute. Talk to God. Read your Bible. Do a little journaling. And pray. Get back into the right habits. What the big idea in this starving baker idea spiritually is that we can be doing a lot of good activity but stop hungering for the things of God. We can stop really hungering after the things of God, the most important things. Um, in Revelations, there's a section where it's basically God talking to these, these churches. And they're one of the churches is the church of Sardis. And in Revelations 3, 1 says, the words of him who, who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. Okay, here, here's where we want to see. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive. You're doing great stuff. Well done. You know, you're doing fantastic. But you are dead. Wow. That's me sometimes. I'm doing the stuff. You know, I'm doing all the right stuff. But spiritually, I'm, I'm a little dry. I found myself in a place of dry bones, of death. And I need to do something about that. And the scripture says, and two, wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, hold fast 
and repent. Basically he's saying, stop all the doing. Take a minute and recenter. Wake up and repent. Come back to the most important things. Anybody feel like you identify with the starving baker? I'm going to have you raise your hand during this, this. It's okay. Everybody identifies with multiple of these often. But that's the one I identify with most, is the starving baker. And the scripture tells us to wake up, repent, and strengthen. Remember who I am. Remember, you know, my faithfulness, my goodness, my love. Press back into the things of God. And then you'll have even more to give. Second one is the meanderer. The meanderer. I also co-named it the adulterer. But you'll see why. So the meanderer is somebody who, you know, is easily distracted by everything going on. If they have good intentions, they have a good heart, they're doing some good over here, they're checking this out over here, you know, just, just kind of making their way in the world, you know, and go, going around, not, not doing anything bad necessarily, but just kind of making their way. Richard Foster, who I mentioned earlier, has, has a, a quote, says, our adversary, the devil, majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. That's the, that, those are the, the things of the, of the meander, the, the things that, that pull the meander away from God is noise, hurry, and crowds. Just get distracted by everything happening all around them. All of a sudden, their passions go to this, go to that, over here, over here. And, and there's no room for, the, for passion for Jesus and things of God. They've lost focus. They're not focusing on what is good, what is honorable. They've, they've stepped away from that and just, it's like, I want a little of everything. And there's no center. The opposite end of that but leads to the same thing, which is apathy. The opposite end of that is the adulterer, an idol worshiper, a person who, who goes all in, passionate about one thing, but it's not the right thing. Both of these people, and that's why I paired them together, even though they're opposites, leads to apathy for the things of God. If you're focusing on career only to the fault of your, your passion for, for Christ or your family or what's happening over here, if you focus on wealth, power, all those things that we make idols in our lives, if that is more important than your pursuit of Christ and righteousness, you will find yourself apathetic to the things of God. If you get distracted by the noise and everything else going around, on around you and you find yourself just going from one thing to the next to the next with a lack of focus, with, with a lack of passion, you're feeling like, yeah, this is all good, 
but there's, there's no real, like, hunger. There's no real passion. There's no real thirst, especially for the things of God. We call that apathy. And if we allow apathy to remain, if we allow that deceptiveness to, to, to enter in, it'll leave us feeling with nothing. Apathy is slow, it's deceptive, and it leaves us feeling empty. Com- completely empty, just like, just nothingness. It's like, you know, the, your, your, your heart has gone, gone hard or dim. Think about this. You, you eventually become apathetic to your apathy. You become even apathetic to your apathy. It's like, uh. And you know, this doesn't happen overnight. It happens slowly. I, I, I often will come into a room, and either my wife or my kids are reading a book, okay? And the sun has just begun to go down, and there are very few lights on in the house because the sun was up. And it's becoming dim. And I walk into that room from, from outside where it's a little brighter, into that room, and I can barely see. You know? You, you walk in, and you're like, I, I can barely see there's a person on the couch, let alone read a book. And it's often Ava. She's, she's give me a peace sign over there. Um, you know, it's like she's sitting there just reading along. And it's pitch dark. You know, the dusk has happened. And I'm like, I'm like flipping on all the lights in the house. Like, Alexa, TV room lights on. Okay? And I'm like, how can you even see? But it happens slowly, right? And you're, you begin to adjust to a new normalcy. Something that shouldn't be but is. And think about this spiritually. You know, sometimes our hearts just begin to dim. Sometimes, you know, our sensitivity to the things of God or our sensitivity to sin or our sensitivity to the things that, that are, maybe are okay but not beneficial, the scripture talks about, begins to dim. And all of a sudden we find ourselves in a place we never thought we could be. We never thought we would go there. And we find our place, ourselves there. Because just slowly... Our, our heart has, the scripture talks about, either hardened or become seared or we can use dimmed, you know, and it's not passionate. It's lost that desire. And it, and it happens without you even knowing it sometimes. When we, when we don't have people in our lives, we don't have a small group we go to, we don't have a church we attend, we don't have things that we're doing in our lives regularly, spiritual disciplines and practices that help us fuel that passion and hunger for the Lord. There's a a church that, in Revelations 3.15, the next two churches down from the last one is Church of Laodicea that God talks to. He says, because you are lukewarm, You're neither hot nor cold. I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not have need of anything. Gosh, that sounds a lot like the culture we live in. 
maybe not your personal experience, but the culture we live in, we, we often say, we don't have need of anything. We're okay. We've got this. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, pure, poor, blind, and naked. Ouch. It's talking to us. That scripture right there is definitely talking to us. We can easily find ourselves there when we get be either put an idol in our life or we begin to meander and just take a little of this, get distracted by that, forget about what's important, forget about this. And all of a sudden we find ourselves naked, poor, wretched, pitiful. That is our propensity, unfortunately. And, and he, the, the scripture there is saying, come back to me. Come back. You know, even if you just have a little bit of, a little bit of you know, fire going, just a little, a little something, a little something, something happening under there, right? And you add a little fuel, it begins to grow. And a little more begins to grow. A little more begins to get bigger and bigger. All of a sudden, you're burning. You're burning hot because God has, has done something deep in your soul and your spirit. And you've come back to him. You've re-engaged with the things of God. The one didn't happen overnight. Usually, the other doesn't happen overnight. You have to choose to engage day in and day out with the things of God. Just put a little fuel on that, a little more, a little more. Ask God to stir it. Ask God to stoke it. Ask God to breathe on it, his breath, and do something that only he can do. Revive our spirits. Change us from within. So we got the starving baker. Some of you identify with that. Um, the next one is the meander and adulterer. Who, who identifies with that? The meander or, 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 or putting your passions in the wrong place, I should say. Yeah, some of you out there, of course. Of course. The last is the addict. This is the, the, the one that man captures so many, so many of us. Um, and of course, has varying degrees. But the addict is, some, some, is the person who, who gets entangled in sinful activities, beyond desires, in the sinful activities. It's the one who finds themselves going back to the same sin, you know, activity that is destructive, when we, sometimes we think, we think of sin like there's some terrible thing. And there are some things that are terrible things, but there's varying degrees of this. You know, we can, can continue along a path that's just not good for us. It's not God's best for us. And that's missing the mark, which is sin. And then some of us find ourselves deep into sin, deep into things that are destructive, and are, are going to tear apart our, our spirit and soul and wreck our relationships and our marriages and hurt our friendships. Both of these are, are the addict. Both of these cause us to, to walk along a line that leads, the scripture says, to death. James 1.5, I'm going to read it up here because I put the King James Version on my thing for some reason. 
Can you throw James 1.5 up? I have it on my phone. Okay, it says, then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and, and sin, then, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. If we will allow ourselves to engage in activity that is not of God habitually over and over and over again, when it is full grown, it says it leads to death. That leads to death in, in our natural circumstances, in our life, in our relationships, in how, how we engage with people around us. It just it creates unhealthiness because when we are engaging these things, we try to cover it up, and we become shameful, and we become embarrassed, and we, we no longer you know, feel good about our, ourselves, our relationship, because we're out of sync with God. God says, repent, come back to me. The illustration I wanted to use today, and I'm just going to walk us quickly through it, is that of King David. King David, the scripture says, was a man after God's heart. That he, he did great things on behalf of God and for God. But not only did he do great things, the scripture says his heart was right with God. He desired to, and was passionate about the things of God. And when you, when you look at um, 2 Samuel I, have, I left it down there. That's okay. It starts out, chapter 11, starts out with this, this image of David sending his men off to war. Okay? All his, his servant, his mighty men, all the people who he walks with day in and day out, where he gains strength, where he, he does life with, he sends them all off to war. And the scripture says, but he remained. And it gives this connotation like, this isn't good. He remained back in the castle. And, then, and, and so right there it gives this image of David's heart maybe not being fully in line, in step, passionate with God. Maybe he's missing something. Maybe he's not hearing God quite. Something's going on in his life that he is not in step with God. Okay? And he sends off all the people who would keep him accountable, sends him off to war. And he begins to make these small choices to distance himself from what is right, okay? And this all happens in, two, in, in like 10 verses, but a lot is, a lot is there. And he, it says he walks up to the roof of the palace, and he looks out, and there's temptation, Bathsheba. She's in, in taking a bath, and he sees her, and the scripture says he desired her. And so he sends a servant over to go and inquire, who is this? And then sends, sends them to bring her back. And scripture says he lays with her. And she becomes pregnant. And you think at that point, he'd be going, okay, I have really, really, really screwed up, right? But no, he's got power. His heart has become numb. Sin has, he's given himself to temptation and it's leading to... Death? Okay, got it. Okay, we're going to try that again. He's given himself temptation, and it's leading to death. death. Exactly. 
And he doesn't just wake up and repent because once you're in, you begin to try to cover it. And so he begins to cover it. He, he, he finds out it's Uriah's wife, so he's like, he's like, Uriah, come back from the war. Go, go spend some time with your wife so that nobody knows that this was my child. Then Uriah is so honorable that he won't do it because his men are out to war. That's where David should be, right? And so he doesn't do that. So what, what does David do? He doesn't fault the mercy of God. What he does is he, he sends a note with Uriah. Uriah literally carries his death notice to the front lines. And it says, go send him out and let him be killed. Pull back your men and allow him to be killed. And so he does. He's, he's killed. And then Davis, da- David takes, your, takes Bathsheba as his wife. And, you know, again, just another cover-up. And along comes Nathan, the prophet of God, comes in and confronts him. And finally, he falls at the feet of God and repents. And the scripture talks about how this will continue on. The, the ramifications of this continue on. But God accepts him back because God loves David. God cares about David. God wants a relationship with David. He doesn't, he, all that stuff, he, will, he, he has paid for on the cross and wipes that away and wants to re-engage with David. Our text today, our main text, which I'm only going to just read because I think it's enough, is this. Be on your guard. Be watchful. Be on your guard. Stand firm in faith. Be courageous and be strong. Most of all, do everything in love. Would you stand? Who of you identified with one of those three people today? I think all of us can raise our hand. Maybe you're not in a place that you identify now, but at some point you have been. You've been there. And at some point you're going to lean towards one of those over and over and over again. And if we will put things in place in our life, people that will call us out, if we will put spiritual disciplines and practices, if we will remind ourselves that if we are not hungering for God, even if we don't feel the presence of God all the time, but if we're not hungering for God, if that, that you know, when I wake up in the morning, get a cup of coffee, my stomach turns, if, that, if your spirit is not turning, that's a red flag. Address it. Don't put that off. Don't say it's okay. Don't, don't wait. Address it. We have to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We have to hunger and thirst for more of God. This is about a relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And today, if you find yourself, you know, as the starving baker, as the, the, the apathetic to the things of God, you, you've become apathetic to your apathy, or if you are stuck in a, in a sin that you wish you could be free of. I want to pray for us now that God would come and intervene. But the first step is for you to, to, to ask him, to take that step and say, God, I need more of you. I admit I am not hungering and thirsting after you like I should. I need you. And, this, and then tell him, this is what 
I'm dealing with. This is where I'm at. He knows. But we have to confess it. And then I'm going to challenge you. You've got to talk to somebody else. You can't stay hidden. You can't continue to cover it up. You have to talk to somebody else. If it's apathy, talk to somebody. If it's sin, talk to somebody. If you're finding yourself dry and, you know, empty, talk to somebody. Get them to pray together. Ask God to intervene and do a great work in your life. Thank you, Jesus, for your graciousness, for your gift of mercy, for your love, God, that you meet us where we're at. God, that you love us. You pursue us. You're calling our name right now. And God, we turn towards you. Ask God that you would stir our spirits. And God, if if right now somebody's identifying with one of those, those areas, I pray, God, that you would move in their life. God, that you, God, would draw them back to yourself as they just reach out, just turn towards you, as they lean into the things of, of you. God, that you would do a miraculous work. God, give them the courage to talk to somebody. Give them the courage to talk to somebody. Just make it, put it out there. Just talk to somebody. There's no condemnation in Christ. God had paid for our shame and our guilt already. Lord, we thank you for that.